Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Gay Peas in a Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Bevan. And in this podcast, we like to challenge our ways of thinking, to open our minds and to spread light through honest and open conversations. Now this week we're chatting with Jacob Miller. Tassie born, but now in Melbourne, Jacob defines himself as queer, pan, poly and non-binary, which hasn't always been the case. Growing up in Tassie, going through Catholic school, Jacob found it difficult to find their identity and their pride Jacob is currently Senior Manager of Op Shop for Uniting Vic Taz and is now full of pride in who they are. So what is so what is the place of Op Shops in Jacob's life? What is their Op Shop journey? And how did Op Shops help them find their identity and pride? Welcome to the podcast, Jacob! What a spill, thank you. It's lovely to be here. What a spill. I still stuffed it up. I, I swear, every single one of these podcasts, I can't get one out without getting a word wrong. Too many syllables. <laughs> so many syllables. So many questions. <laughs> How are you? I'm I'm so well. I'm so good. I've, I've worn my upshot best for you. So yes. ready to go. We have also worn what makes us feel the best. This little jacket number of mine was my grandmother's. It used to be a jumper, which is this thin, and then I, I put a zip on it because, and now I, it's like my favorite thing ever. I'm obsessed. He's obsessed. Pearls, obviously. I do love the pearls. Yeah, you get your pearls on. I do love the pearls. And who doesn't love a leopard print? I mean, come on. Any animal print. <laughs> yes. Animal print. Look at you in well, these like large, yeah. frilly, sequiny looking things. Yeah. Oh, and Just almost like- what looks like a ball gag around your neck, but three of them. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> One for each of us. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. You're so considerate. Thank you. Uh, I try. I try. <laughs> this this little frock showed up on my desk one day, and oh. uh, it's a seven dollar bargain. Oh my gosh, you must come across the most incredible pieces working in your job. Do you do the old, um, I'm just going to put that aside and we'll have a look at that later, but it's actually for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah. Don't, I don't get so much time in the shops anymore, but I love it when they uh, send me a text to one of my team and they've found something for me. I'm like, oh, I'll just swing by. Thank you very <laughs> yes. much. Now, of course, Jacob, we met you when we were all back in Hobart. We've since moved to Melbourne this year. You've moved to Melbourne a while back as well. Um, and uh, you were working in op shops in Hobart down there as well. And you created this incredible space at Hobart City Mission in Moona in Tassie, which it was so cool. It was like this vintage corner and you had to walk through a wardrobe. I loved that you had like the, the wardrobe open. You'd knock the back yeah, out that- of it and you go through the wardrobe. It was so awesome. Which we called back into the closet. Ah, <laughs> the only time we'll go back into the closet. Exactly. And, and, then, and then come out looking more fabulous than ever. Yes. <laughs> Jacob, why don't you tell us your op shop journey and um, what they mean to you? Yeah. So I started in op shops when I was like, like between 14 and 17, that kind of crucial high school period, um, trying to earn some money. My mother was very much like... Um, no, no, you're, you're 14 now. You can earn your own money. I'm not going to pay for your toiletries anymore. Go and get a job. <laughs> so um, I landed in the op shop space and and wasn't really sure, like, what I was doing there. It just kind of, it wasn't something that I necessarily applied for, but it was suggested that I'd land up in an op shop and then kind of really started to discover this this den of, of creativity. So um for those of you who know Hobart, I was in North Hobart in this little vintage store that's on the middle of a 
Elizabeth Street there and um, really got to see right from the beginning all these fabulous people come in and find their self-expression in the shop and um, really kind of challenged my ways of thinking as this as this little Catholic schoolboy that, um, <laughs> you know, had my tie done all the way up and my shirt tucked in. <laughs> Oh, I love that. It's it is incredible. I also found so much of my self expression through secondhand shops. There's just something about them. Uh, like one mm. of like my favorite pieces of clothing. Hang on, the uh, coat hangers in the wardrobe, and like everything else will come and go. But I've got my favorites that are always there. They mean the most to me. Like this one, for example, I pull it out when I, you know, I just want to feel excited and vibrant and me and want to express who I am you know it, it, it's amazing yeah. what it can do for people because uh, op shops have come through a renaissance right because uh, growing up in the 80s for me there was a real stigma on op shops and mm. you know I can re I remember very clearly my mother and I walking down the street one day and she whispered she goes there, there goes my dress there was a dress <laughs> there was a dress that my mum had given to the op shop and this other lady was wearing it I love it I know I was like okay <laughs> Cool. But there was a bit of a stigma growing up about you'd never shop there. Uh, and there seems to be this renaissance that's happened about yeah, from a cre creative point of view is that reusing clothing, rehousing, and then finding creativity and expressing it through clothing is, is really oh, come of age. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a sustainability, you know, yes. um, we can't continue to produce what we're producing in the fashion industry. So, you know, secondhand and the resharing and the reliving of fashion is the only way forward. And, and when you look back in our past, that was, that was the norm. It's really only kind of this postmodern era of consumerism that's led us to, to where we're at. But I wonder, Bev, whether um, that stigma has existed in queer communities. So, you know, there's that the generalized stigma of op shopping. But when I kind of look at the the queer community back generations and generations, I reckon they would have always been op shoppers, Correct. and they were the Correct. ones that were you finding the old dress and tarting themselves up. And I guess you know, queer community too haven't necessarily always had the funds to be able to you know go and buy things new or, or the confidence to to try on a dress in a mainstream retail store but you can do that in the op shop because there's kind of it's a different space it's a different retail space that allows you to just play and, and be a bit more um, fun and creative with your self-expression yeah, no, yeah correct i was middle class country victoria so yeah that you're correct there that's probably always been there and I loved getting in there and dressing and, and grabbing those things. And the only time we ever got to experience that was when there was like a themed party and you'd go off and go to the op shop to get some things for your theme party. But I felt while walking in there though, there was this familiarity of being in there and, and, and feeling at home with it all as a, as a little, mm. queer, as a little queer teenager in a country town, I did feel that. And I felt, yeah, yeah something, warm and inviting and yeah absolutely familiar being in there growing mm. up but you're right yeah it's generally gravitating toward like the, the women's wear section as well <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah, some yeah. great yeah. shirts and blouses oh, and jumpers yeah i know they always have the best clothing yes in the boys section it's always like <sighs> early 2000s camo big pants and shorts and things sometimes yeah. but yeah, yeah. There are some hidden gems, though. How have you seen people evolve through coming in and finding their expression through working in op shops? How, how has that been as an experience for you? I think probably, you know, the most, the most evolved journey that I've seen is my own, actually. 
happy. You know, when when I kind of first started in an op shop, I was kind of super conservative kid and and I'd seen queer people but didn't necessarily connect or identify that they were queer people. But in the op shop, I got to connect and hear people's stories and see people um, struggle with self-expression and try things out. I remember, you know, some uh, great uh, Tasmanian queers like Martine Delaney and, oh, yeah. and their family in um, in the shop kind of just trying things on and, and being fully themselves. And so for me, it was kind of through the parallel stories of op shops that I kind of got to find my self-expression. And I think as a teenager in Tassie, it was certainly not, it didn't feel appropriate for me to wear a frock walking down the street, but I could kind of play with my fashion in the op shop and it was okay because I was representing this vintage op shop and I could dress the window as queer as I wanted because it was part of the space that was, you know, it, it was expected in the op shop space, but can then kind of outside of that, it wasn't necessarily allowed or expected. And I couldn't play with, you know, femme fashion the same way. So, so for me, I've kind of gone from this, um, you know, flannel. I don't know if I was ever a flannel wearer, but you know, yeah, the, yeah. The have you got pictures? I want to see fashion. that. <laughs> you in flannel? I want to see it. <laughs> I'm sure I can and find some photos. I do have a photo of me as a five year old with a mullet somewhere. Oh, <laughs> I've got a photo of me with a mullet too. Mullet kid, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll add that to the comments underneath. You know, yeah, where absolutely can check that out. But yes, I think that for me it's kind of my own journey and then I remember one day um just before COVID I was walking down the street with my with my boss the the senior manager of social enterprise and he held my skirt up as I walked through a puddle and I was like <laughs> there we go it's a, a whole new world from this this little kind of suppressed kid in Hobart that wasn't quite sure what was appropriate to wear and not wear to strutting down the streets of Melbourne with my boss holding my skirt so I didn't get muddy, you know. Oh, wow. I was going to ask, um, you've moved to Melbourne. How has that helped you? And um, what do you love the most about it then? Like you say, it would be harder to do that kind of thing in Hobart. I feel exactly the same because it's home and you feel like you know everyone. And in Tassie, you know, everyone knows everyone. And you're like, I can't walk down the street with a dress on. I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I'd be able to do that or yet anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. How has moving to Melbourne changed you in that way? Yeah, so I guess there's two iterations of this for me. Like I first moved to Melbourne about seven years ago and subconsciously in my mind, I moved to Melbourne to come out. Like I, that wasn't kind of what I was telling everyone. But then my very first day in Melbourne, I was taken down to the pill and I literally physically ran into someone on the dance floor, made out with them and dated for six months. So, you know, it changed me dramatically on day one. Yeah. And that was that was kind of the beginning of and you know just that whole recreation of self. I was able to to be someone that no one knew my backstory, and you know it wasn't Betty who knew Barbara who knew my grandmother that was going to tell a story. It was just a whole new community where I could I could be myself. So really, kind of encouraged me to to just create the person that I wanted to be, and then post COVID, I ended up back in Tassie for two years, and I was quite unashamedly myself back in Tassie then I'd kind of found the confidence to to go back and I was wearing you know dresses on the news and in Parliament House and walking down Elizabeth Street and um yeah I remember Alistair Weiss who um, had the the sweet MV uh, bakery in North Hobart at, at the time uh, rang me one day and was like I saw you walking down the street and you look so fierce I thought I was in another 
city like uh, you know and just <laughs> such a good such a good story but you know that was kind of bringing the fierceness down and and being the you know um being the symbol for other people that you know that we all exist in all of different forms of humanity and that's okay even in the streets of hobart mm. it 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 makes us and helps us. And I was thinking about this a little bit before when Matt and I were talking. When we see someone else is really brave, uh, it really encourages us to then step out ourselves. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, we've been talking a little bit about that, you know, as I a, as a, as a identify as he, him. Um, but even for me, uh, wanting to think I may appear weak. Um, in my masculinity mm-hmm. and, and realizing, um, and we talked about that uh, yesterday, about feeling weak is that uh, the strength for me is is that being authentic and feeling um, strong and it's not a weakness at all. And then seeing you mm-hmm. do that and strut down like that is is revolutionary. It's something that, you know, if you're going to be that brave, then I can jump on that too and, 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 and be that person that I feel inside. Mm. Yeah. And it's not a weakness at all. It's a strength. And this is why we do it. We do it because it's fun. We get to express ourselves as well. But we do do it for people that find it harder. You know, mm. we, we have to keep doing it. We have to show courage um, for ourselves, for people that find it tough to express themselves. We have to keep doing it. Yeah. I am um, one of the stories that sticks out in my mind of, of I guess being that that beacon and that light for someone was I was in the op shop working and and naturally as a queer person you're always um, judging safety and how you might respond or act and mm-hmm. and there was a family unit that came up to the register that you know looked a, a little bit rough around the edges and definitely had the flannel and the and the mullets and and I made some judgments in that moment to to butch up a little bit because I wasn't quite sure how I was going to be received and um and so I was kind of like good day mate yeah 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 <laughs> you know, still in a dress with my nails and whatever <laughs> you know that kind you want of a beer? false illusion of yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. they had them a little six-year-old and and he was about to ask me a question and I was I was bracing for something that was, you know, not appropriate and something that I wasn't probably comfortable answering in the middle of my work day. And then he was like, where did you get your nail polish? Your nails are fabulous. And then the mum was like, oh, yeah, he makes me paint his nails every other day. And ah! he's got a whole range of colours. And and so, you know, I'd kind of misjudged the whole situation. But there was this little kid that kind of had seen that it was okay to, to be queer and have your nails painted outside of the house. And, yes. and you know, it was for him this this whole um, breakdown of reality. But for me, it was a breakdown of reality the other way around because I'd, I'd so misjudged the situation. Oh, gee, I love that. And I, it's, it's, we, 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 as, as the, as the animals that we are, the evolved animals that we are, we obviously way overthink and overcomplicate everything mm-hmm. and color on a little boy's nails to some people can be like, that's revolting. We should protect boys and we should protect girls and everything like this. But the reality is it's just a color on a part of your body regardless of what your gender is it's that's all it is and that's all it has to be it's pure it's beautiful it's a way to research i love green so i'm gonna paint my nails green today why not it's incredible regardless of your gender yeah 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 what uh what do you think are some of the biggest fashion faux pas that we can make though are there any are there is there any way that you can go wrong in fashion (laughs) 
through op shop fashion. <laughs> yeah, is there anything that's really like wrong, wrong, or is everything wrong right? Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think, you know, like the only wrong fashion is the the straight man in the two-piece suit with the white shirt, right? Like that, that's been yeah, done yeah, yeah. for the last 200 years. We don't need to see that. Everything else is is okay. <laughs> um, I think one of my, my idols, Iris Apfel, who has the big round glasses like this, which those. I wore today because they come from an up shop. Um, yeah. But Iris says, you know, just try, wear whatever you want. And the fashion police are not going to take you away. And if they do, maybe you'll have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to ask who some of your biggest fashion inspirations were. Yeah. So um, Iris Apfel, for, for those who don't know, um, she's over 100 and has, has been a, a designer for, for her whole life and has wardrobes and warehouses of, of fashion and is certainly a maximum a maximalist uh you know bracelets all up the arm the big glasses the bright color around i think probably my my number one idol and then i love um there's an instagram page and a whole heap of media that goes with that called advanced style which again is all these kind of mostly women but older people that just kind of don't give anything anymore and they just wear whatever they want and play with fashion and play with style and you know they've been collecting for years so uh they're probably some of my my top fashion fashion icons but um i guess similar to what you were saying before bev it's those people that just kind of challenge the status quo that are the ones even if they're walking down the street i'll stop and say you look fantastic and they're the they're the kind of ordinary people that you know um i think inspire me to try something new and 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 Mm. keep being creative and fun yeah i Mm. i have this thing in the back of my mind is when i do see someone fabulous it's really important to tell them um, and it creates mm-hmm. such so much joy in that moment that, you know, we recognize the creativity, the individuality, and we celebrate it. The and courage as the well. The courage, and we yeah. should just call it out in a beautiful way. Um, and yeah, I do mm-hmm. often, you'll see sometimes when I see rings on people that I love, and I'll just say to them, I love that ring, or your nails look amazing, or, mm. you know, I love that coat. We're as we're talking earlier about house hunting, we're at a ha- we were looking at a house the other day and this, uh, the agent had that fabulous coat on. Oh. Yeah, she had this amazing coat and I was just like, oh, I love that coat. Can I borrow your coat? <laughs> Can I borrow your coat? <laughs> but it's, it's fantastic to have those conversations with people who are, who are just being beautiful and individual and I think it makes them feel joyful yeah. too by being, you know, by being complimented. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm such a complimenter. Like it, it's very hard for me to walk down the street without, you know, telling about three or four people. Oh, I love this about you or this about you, and and I think that's probably one of the joys too of of being in the in the north of Melbourne. There are lots of people yeah. that are kind of trying new things and being a bit wacky with their fashion and that inspires me all the more to to compliment them and and embrace mm. the the joy that they're styling on themselves. Yeah, and we're mm. often missing that joy because we're not being present. We're on our phones, we're walking around, we're not engaging and looking at people and seeing how amazing and beautiful they are and missing on that opportunity to connect. Mm. You know, and that and fashion does that. You know, fashion draws you and connects you and enables you to have that wonderful moment and 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 joins us together. I really do believe that, you know. It's something that we can have in common. That's that's op shops, right? At the at their yeah. core, and um, we we put 
the dance music on in our in the uniting up shops and you know there there are often people who come in who may actually just be for a conversation but at their core op shops are places of community where you might be styling and and trying different pieces of fashion or you might just be there to have conversations or, or dance or um, create community. So, you know, I've, I've been thinking around this regularly that op shops are kind of the intersection between community self-expression mm. and, and fashion and, and secondhand goods. And, and, you know, that's like maybe garage sales are the, are the same thing when you have a garage sale, but at the core, the you, op shops are this incredible intersection of community and self-expression together with secondhand. It's um, a pretty incredible space to work in. And, you know, having been here since 14 years old, I guess, um, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm the one that can say that and, and be proud of it and know it because I've seen it for, you know, 14 years. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're the proof in the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, um, it's hard to, you know, survive these days. It's co- cost of living is crazy, you know. We're trying to pinch pennies wherever we can. I honestly, the thought of going and buying new clothing in my own mind at the moment, I never even consider it. Like, I'm like... My expendable cash these days is like minimal while I'm on this creative path and I'm, you know, I'm working in hospo casually wherever I can earn a buck and I'm like hustling in the creative sphere. I don't have a lot of expendable cash, so I never think about buying new clothes. Um, So op shops are definitely a happy place for me. I love going in. You, You find your hidden gems and I have my select pieces that live on my coat racks that are, you know, years old now and I'll pull them out when I want to wear something special. And uh, most of my favourite pieces of clothing are secondhand. Do you have your favourite pieces that maybe you've had for a long time that, that are really special to you that you've found as well through op shopping? I think I am, um, being in the op shop sector, there are so many kind of, you see so much stuff come and go inside. So I'm not very connected to a lot of things in my wardrobe but um i've got this incredible orange fur coat this great big orange fur that actually started as a compliment in portugal i was at a place called the thieves market and um saw this this french woman trying it on and she had orange hair and orange glasses and orange nails and Mm -hmm. she had this great big orange coat i was like it's fabulous. You've got to buy it. You look amazing. And through some kind of language barrier, she she understood the compliment. And then half an hour later, she'd left and didn't buy it. So I'd complimented it so much. I felt connected to having to buy the coat. (laughs) And um, I've got that coat. It had its own seat on the plane, you know, during COVID. (laughs) Luckily, I didn't Uh have to pay for it, but it was this huge, it's such huge coat and so I still love that and there's not very many days in the year that you get to wear (laughs) something that weighs you know 20 kilos and is is this huge uh, faux fur but that's probably a standout piece in my wardrobe that I've kept for a couple of years now um I also had um an artist die eaten made me and a belt for a um a fashion parade I was hosting out of um the tags from clothes that were made mostly in China 
And so he put all of these fast fashion tags together and mm. made a, a belt for an outfit, um, which is an incredible piece and really, I guess, challenges you or makes you think around fast fashion and you see kind of all those tags together. So that's another thing that's it's been in my wardrobe for a couple of years. But, you know, it's the pieces that come with story for me that have stuck around and that, that I've held on to. Everything else, I'm just like, I'll buy three things this week and I'll you know, I'm not one of those people that's one thing in, two things out. I'm more like I'll buy three and take one. Um, So it's an ever-growing collection, but yeah. Love that. Um, When you're talking about the lady Mm. in orange, I I love seeing those people that, you know, resonate with one colour. You see a lot of like purple ladies, the purple lippy, the purple eye, the purple top, the purple jumper, the purple pants. Green. Yes. yes, green is my favorite color, and I think there's a lady that lives in New York, and there's a YouTube doco about her, and she's called the Green Lady, and like there's, yeah, a, yeah, there's, a, there's a tour of her apartment, and everything in her apartment is green. She only ever wears head to toe green. She's got green in her hair. She's green she's, eyeshadow. She's adorable. It makes me happy seeing her. Anytime I see a picture of her, she just popped up yesterday, which is why she's at the front of my mind. Yeah, I I love it. I think. Part of my poly story is that I couldn't uh, commit that much to one color. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It just seeped into the other parts of your life. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and talking about those other parts of life, you're comfortable talking about it. It's love to hear about the evolution for you personally uh, of your story growing up in Tasmania, some of the influences and some of the struggles you may have had coming into this and then finding and exploring your own uh, your own sexuality, your own person and how that's evolved. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it, an incredible journey. Like, you know, I, I guess in my mind, I, to- I toyed with the idea of, of being gay just in kind of the, you know, um, man versus man. That's kind of, that was the broadness of what I had of gay in my mind as a kid. And um, that was always there. And, you know, the dialogue that existed in Tasmania, particularly as someone that, you know, I was in primary school during the debate of whether or not um, we should decriminalize homosexuality. So Mm. the dialogue that surrounded being gay in Tassie was, was not very positive. And, um, you know, the most positive it would be, would be that, you know, they're gay, but I'm okay with that. And it's like, you know, that's, that was kind of what I grew up around. And then obviously Catholic school and, and the stories that exist around, you know, sin and et cetera, et cetera, that comes with religion were all there. So for me, I, I held it down as, as, as long as I could until I got to a point where, you know, I moved to Melbourne and, and came out and, and lived this, um, this wonderful gay life. And, um, I was so suppressed that I was dating a volunteer in the op shop for a few weeks and I didn't even know we were dating. And I broke this poor guy's heart because we were dating and we were going to quiz nights and he came over one night and I was like, oh, my friend can drive you home. And he was like, no, I want to stay. And I was like, no, no, like, don't, don't worry about getting an Uber later. Well, it wouldn't have been an Uber then, but you know, um, you can, my friend will drop you off on the way and then kind of realize later that he was gay and, and, you know, he thought we were like <laughs> starting to come together in this relationship. And I was so closeted and suppressed that I just didn't even realize that that was an option. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 
obviously you don't identify as just a gay man anymore. You know, tell us more. How has this evolution continued for you? Yeah, I think once you kind of start to to break down those societal barriers, it's then like, oh, the world hasn't ended and this is okay and I'm safe and I'm happy and the people around me still love me. And then it's kind of like, well, what else is okay? And so um, I'm not quite sure kind of the order of what came next. It was probably, you know, um, non-monogamous relationships that came next and exploring that and, and then realizing that, oh, well, maybe, you know, I did have girlfriends when I was in high school and maybe I am attracted to more than just dudes and kind of exploring that and, and opening that up and, and starting to date um, queer people and trans people and, and women again and, and opening what that meant to me. And, and so it was kind of just this natural progression. And then um, the, the non-binary element to my gender and, and the poly element to the way that I love kind of, I remember having these visions that talking to, to a poly person and them explaining the way that they loved and that they kind of had overflowing love for multiple people and they loved people equally, but in completely different ways. And they were, they were loving people in, you know, for all different reasons, but the same um, depth of love and the same um, commitment and passion, and it meant the same for them. And I heard this story and it reminded me um, of when I was a, a toddler and I had two cousins that were sisters and I used to say to one, oh, you're my favourite, and then five minutes later, oh, you're my favourite to the other one. And community around me used to make fun of me as a kid and it was like I was playing them off each other. But for me as a child, it never, it was never that, like, I love, I'm going to name them, so maybe they'll listen. Um, <laughs> I love Kate and Elise incredibly equally as as my cousins, and, and they are both my favourite, and they're very different women, and they've got very different gifts and talents in life and very different ways of connecting with the world. Um, but they're sisters, and they're my cousins, and I, I love them, and they were both my favourite cousin. And I kind of realised then as an adult that that is the love and the capacity that I have as a human and that actually you know, I can fully connect and love people for their fullness and what they bring to the world. But for me, I'm able to love multiple people in that same way. And so I might have, you know, um, I think my friends count a record of 10 people in my, in my life at any one time that, you know, bring me great joy. And we connect in different ways that may be sexual, maybe not sexual, maybe, you know, uh, intimate, maybe not intimate, but there's a, a deep love and an affinity with each other for all different ways. So, um, yeah, I remember that one kind of wide awakening of just hearing the story of another person and realizing, oh, this connects to my own life. Um, so, I don't think Kate and Elise know that they're the uh, example of me learning <laughs> that I'm polyamorous, um, but they will now. They do now. <laughs> oh, I love that. We've discussed, they do now. We've discussed polyamory on the on the potty before, and it's it's fascinating. Mm. I mean, it's the the freedom as well, breaking down as many barriers as you can, and you know. And we've done um, counselling sessions with uh, I think our second interview here on the podcast, Ashley Macklin, yes. psychosexual <laughs> therapist. And his, um, the work that we did with him opened up so many new communication channels between us. Like, you know, mm. we, we would talk about many different um, 
boundaries and things, even stuff that wouldn't relate to us, but we would explore everything and that would in turn, um, you know, we would have conversations about things that maybe we wouldn't have had conversations about before. You know, what if we did this? What would happen? What if this happened? How would that affect our relationship? And it just got, it allowed us to get it to know ourselves yeah. and each other on a really deep level as well. And uh, yeah, one I'll, of the things I love this constant challenge, right? Yes. This mm. uh, constant yes. Kind of conversation and, and pushing yourself into a new realm um, yes. and, and allowing deeper growth with individuals because of that. Because mm. often we push against change, right? We push against the whole fact of change, but that's where the power of change uh, brings newness to our lives. And we just continually don't sometimes want that. And the discussion, mm. yeah, the discussions we were having with Ash was that uh, being closed off to certain things uh, sometimes comes from a position of pain sometimes or fear mm -hmm. that's happened in your own life. Like you, um, I've had a uh, Christian and a religious background and, and that shaped my thinking uh, very much so in a, in a traditional way and that, that overhanging sin and what you can and can't do and that finality of that often dictated the way that I viewed relationships. Um, and mm. once you get rid of that veil and push that away and, and realize I'm still breathing, I'm still okay, um, you know, uh, I haven't been struck yeah. by lightning and it's all good. Um, the world of possibilities of connection is there. And you're right, sexual or non-sexual, um, it's about having those wonderful opportunities of being open to meeting uh, other people in different in different facets and experiencing mm. that joy of connection. And allowing ourselves to connect with other people, yes. still knowing that... You know, we're not going to lose each other. We know each other. We have such a deep connection. Uh, yeah. We constantly communicate with each you're other. You're stuck we're... with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're stuck with me too. <laughs> but having, How yeah. beautiful. What a moment to witness. What a moment. <laughs> it's true. It's so romantic, isn't it? You're stuck with me. Yeah, yeah you're stuck. stuck. You're stuck now, mate. <laughs> with me forever. Uh -huh. now, it's, it's sad to think that if I'd continued the way I was, I would have closed myself off to so much wonderful experiences in life. Mm. And it does sad me sometimes seeing people stuck in that, mm. and especially the aggression um, that we see and hear uh, in our community against our community also. I just feel sad for them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I feel sad that they're not experiencing yeah. that freedom. They're missing out on a lot. A lot, on a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, people make those choices for all different reasons. Correct. And I think, you know, sometimes safety is a big factor. And, mm. and you know, if there, there are people listening that are maybe not brave enough or ready to, to take that step, that's also okay. And there's there's time and place to do that. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, there is joy on, on the other side. And, and I would encourage everyone to kind of challenge those barriers. But you know, there, there's time and place to do that and you need to be in a space where you feel safe and for me that wasn't Tassie where I was able to kind of push those boundaries yeah yeah mm. and for me it just took a long time and married to a woman till I was 30 where I felt <laughs> where I felt brave enough and safe enough uh you know to be able to make some really hard decisions mm. and you're correct you need mm. to be you need to have that uh, safety net because it can be pretty mm. scary when you jump Yep. I would say as well to anyone that's listening that also is, is you know, struggling um, or doesn't feel safe or ready yet to, um, you know, start expressing themselves in, in, in more vulnerable ways. Um, you can always reach out to us. We are here for you anywhere. You can message us. We will respond. Um, we are there for you. 
We are your friends. We love you. You are our family. We are all a family. We are all here for each other. So yeah, yeah. Please, please hit us up um, if you're struggling in any sense. Jacob, one thing um, I still struggle with uh, sometimes is religion in my family. Mm. I also grew up with religion in my family. Um, there's still some pretty deeply entrenched religion in my family. Um, mm. How has that side of things been for you as, a, as the beautiful mm. queer person that you are? It's... Um... I really love getting to like the the second date or the third date and then dropping the fact that I have a bachelor of theology and uh, seeing how many times the person convulses and <laughs> <laughs> starts throwing holy water. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, literally the other day, someone kind of made an excuse to leave and I was like, that's done. <laughs> um, and, and I get it right. Like there's, there's a lot of trauma held by our community justifiably because of experiences that have happened in religious environments. So I totally get it. Um, I guess I'm quite lucky that I wasn't raised in a religious household. So my parents um, baptized me Anglican because they didn't know where the Catholic church was. So like, you know, (laughs) that's kind of the extent of religion. And I was brought to a Catholic school um, because my mother thought we kind of got to a social standing and a social place that was too good for public school. And so, you know, and that's a separate can of worms that will keep closed, yeah. but just acknowledge it for what it is right now. Um, and so, so that, that's kind of how I got into to Catholic school. And for me, the, the reason that I became religious right from the beginning was because I was already volunteering as a primary school kid for different programs And I realized that that's what the church enabled. And there were all of these community service and goodness activities that the church enabled. And then the theology behind that, I found really fascinating. And so I kind of got quite heavily involved in the church through um, great people and good stories and, and the goodness of activity. And then went and decided to do a bachelor of theology uh, for two reasons. One being that kind of, the goodness that comes out of uh, good people and and good theology, and then the second being, you know, as as someone who was in school during nine eleven and Islamophobia and all of that, I kind of wanted to understand religions from a from a literacy perspective, I guess, and really kind of um, understand people's worldview. So for me, my my bachelor is really around. Um, different religions in the world and how they interact with each other and not necessarily about in um, indoctrination. And so I've always had this super intellectual understanding of religion um, that was existed in my life before my understanding of what it was to be a queer person. And so it's been really interesting. And, and I guess, Matt, I don't have an answer to your question fundamentally. Like I I don't go to church or, or see myself as religious now, but I do still have this deep intellectual understanding of of religion and, and interest in religions. And um, working for Uniting, you know, Uniting is this really incredible Australian church created, you know, in Australia for Australians um, that is incredibly left leaning and makes all of the same political stances that I would make as an individual. You know, I don't think there was a Uniting church in the country that didn't have up a, a vote yes banner. And you know, there's there's so many amazing queers that are. Aud- 
ordained in the Uniting Church. And I remember trying to decide whether I wanted to work directly for um, a church social service when I came over to Melbourne. I went into a Uniting shop and picked up a magazine that was the church's magazine. And I was like, oh, this will be interesting. This will be kind of, it will tell me what I need to know around whether or not this is an organization that can embrace my queer identity and allow that. And there were like there was like an eight-page long format story of one of their ministers that had transitioned from male to female and stayed with her wife and that her and her wife were still involved in the church community. And there were stories in this article about how the church community was thriving all the more through going through that transition together. And the church community was so proud of, of what they thought was you know, they all felt part of that transition because it was their minister that had gone through the journey. And I don't know that minister and I can't remember uh, her name, but I just had this, all right, this is a safe space to be. And this is where, you know, religion might get it right sometimes. Um, so yeah, that's a kind of long-winded response that doesn't really end in a solidified point. It was an amazing response. <laughs> that's what it's all about. That's what it should be about. Oh, that inspires mm. me, you know. I feel like in some parts I've been burned by religion uh, and usually sometimes when religious topics get brought up, I have quite an aversion, like a like a like an impulse mm. to just like, I don't, want, I don't want to be involved in this conversation. But there mm. are so many beautiful elements and I, I would also love to study more like what you have done because I, I'd love to have more of an understanding of different religions because um, for your own life, you can take parts pieces from everywhere and make them part of you mm. you know which is what i love you've studied i have religion the, too. Yeah, the same and i like you uh love how they're all interconnected and then the similarities of it and trying to find those similarities working as a as a youth pastor as i did i grew up in the uniting church um i was there when the presbyterian and methodist church joined and you're correct it was a momentous moment when this these two churches came together in Australia for Australians with a new vision and they had such a social justice mindset um, mm. I got to know some uh, my pastor at the time Reverend Jim Gavardis and who was American who came over to be in country Victoria they brought a lot of Americans in in that late 70s early early 80s and another American Cindy Patishal Baker who was in Cobden close to me were radically different to what we'd ever seen in Australia. And they're already ahead of the curve where they're seeing uh, uh, how, as they would say, God was moving and changing the church. And there was a lot of debate in that early times, in that late 70s, early 80s on homosexuality. There were papers, Cindy actually produced a paper for Synog uh, at that period of time debating, you know, for them at the time, Synog were trying to work out about whether they could have uh, ordained uh, pastors who were, uh, out uh, at that point, gay men and gay women. Mm -hmm. And the Uniting Church was one of the first churches to really embrace women as pastors. Uh, mm. So I did grow up under a really better liberal um, sense, but then I got involved in the more charismatic side and left the Uniting Church. And that's where I went down a bit of a slippery slope. Uh, for me, mm. anyway, moving away from a more... Uh, liberal understanding and went to a very conservative uh, understanding and charismatic understanding. The charismatic part, probably not so bad, but uh, yeah, 
demons and stuff like that. That's where it all started to go wrong for me. And yeah, yeah. I went down the fundamental path and sort of lost my way. Yeah. I, I find the charismatic parts of, of church so interesting because they're all about self-expression and, and letting out what kind of is innately the, the call within you yeah. until a point, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. other things that it's they the, don't want to. Mm. Exactly. It's the fundamental parts of it. Being charismatic is wonderful. Being charismatic and expressing your love for anything is amazing. And, you mm. know, the charismatic movement within the church at the time was fabulous. It was great. People could get up and dance and move again. And as we shouldn't express ourselves, even as queer people, it was very, you know, in line with mm. that. Uh, it was just unfortunate. I moved away from more of the fact that I was broken and believing that I was broken mm. and that, uh, you know, I, I don't believe that anymore. I believe that I'm just beautiful and perfect the way I was. But yeah, I went down that mm. broken and I needed to be fixed. And that changed what I started to seek out when it came to uh, religions and looking at the ones that said I could be fixed. Mm. And then mm. that, yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. And that's where I, it changed. I fully, yeah, I fully considered being, uh, you know, a, a minister or a priest or a monk or, or something that someone who took a, a vow of celibacy or chastity because it was a way that I didn't have to have a, a false version of myself, mm -hmm. but also I didn't have to jump into the fullness of myself. And it was this kind of safe uh, middle ground, which, you know, I'm sure history tells us that there are many people that have made that choice. Um, but for me in, in being in Tassie, that was kind of, that was one of the ways that I really kind of, thought around joining the church was not so much because of my love of Jesus, whether or not yeah. it was there at the time, but it was kind of this place where I could um, not be forced into a heterosexual marriage, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. And I just, yeah, I took the left road and was forced into a heterosexual marriage. <sighs> <laughs> and now um, look at you with this cutie patootie beside I, you. I know. Look at this cutie patootie. <laughs> what, me? Yeah, you. Oh, come on. And we've talked about this other pods too, but yeah. <laughs> at much more peace than I've ever been than I was in my heterosexual yeah. marriage and more peace with my faith journey than I ever have been. Mm. Um yeah, than I was in the past. But look at this cutie patootie. Oh, I know. Thanks, baby. I'm a very lucky when, man. So am I. When I joined the Uniting Web, you'll like this story. Yeah. Um, two people told me this same story of, and, and both incredibly queer advocates across Melbourne, um, they'd hired a church to, to do an event in, and um, it was you know, not, not a religious event at all. And, and they got there and met with the minister and this is two separate people, but the same church. And um, the minister said to them, right, well, you can move anything. The space is completely yours. Make it yours. Do whatever you like. There are only two things in this building that you, you can't move. Yeah. And um, they were like, okay. And um, one was the crucifix and the <laughs> second was the rainbow flag that was beside the crucifix. Yeah. And so for them as queer people, it was this whole, um, wow, you know, that version of love and this version of love are equal to you and you see the, the great goodness in both of them. And so mm. as queer people, they felt incredibly justified and valued in that moment. But that's kind of something I love about um, the Uniting Church as well. You know, yeah. yeah, that's empowering. When you see those yeah. two things together are the exactly same love. It gets me really emotional because <laughs> it's, that's the oh. truth, you know? That's the truth. 
Yeah, Bev, I, I understand that. That's that's what it's all about. The the love of of religion that we see across all religions is is the trueness of, of human connection, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. Absolutely right. Now, Jacob, um, you, I'd love to learn more about the op shops that you work with, where we can find them, you know, mm. maybe some general tips on how people can go and find the best bits of clothing yeah. and how we can express ourselves, you know? Because often we yeah. think they're all picked over. So where's the best ones with, with, with the best sort of um, yeah. clothing? Where can we yeah. find you? How can people yeah. Yeah, well, start? Obviously, Uniting Op Shops are the best ones. We're just going <laughs> to say that up front from the beginning. Yeah. Um, we're, we're relatively new in terms of we're just um, coming together of, as a network of stores and, and renovating our stores, but also some of our stores have been going since the 60s, so it's this kind of, of mix of both. But we exist across um, metropolitan Melbourne and, and regional Victoria, so um, Bendigo got a couple of great stores, Ballarat, Geelong, Point Lonsdale, all the way out to Sale and, and across Metro Melbourne. So the best way would be to look us up on Instagram, Uniting Up Shops, and then come and visit us. Um, we're open seven days a week, 9.30 till 5. So plenty of opportunities for everyone to to either come in hungover on the Sunday morning or later <laughs> on the afternoon to get your outfit. Um in terms of tips and tricks, I think... Mm, how do, we, how do we find the best ones? It's going regularly, right? Like there's yeah. something yeah. coming out in Upshops every single moment. Like we're continuously processing and people are continuously donating. And so, you know, there, there's continuously stock coming out. And so just calling in for five minutes as you're driving past actually is your greatest chance of finding something. Um, I did an interview for ABC and Hobart, some some years ago now, and, and there was a theory um, announced by the ABC is that if you're looking for something, you'll never find it. But if you just pop in and um, to go off our early conversation and lean into the Holy Spirit of upshopping, <laughs> then um, you're, you're, you're going to kind of find something. And I think that's probably, for me, the the best place to kind of just, just try. Just come in, see what you can find. Maybe it's a... $4,000 pair of Prada shoes that has come in just as you've turned up. Does that or, happen? Um, yeah, does that actually the, happen? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, wow. Like wow. incredible yeah. designer pieces. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is uh, um, from, from Hobart again, but this original pair of um, Coco Chanel heels and they were tiny because they were like, original they were size four or something and and these two uh big uh berry gay men loved them and wanted them and you know, tried, told all their friends about them and then came in a week later and they were still there and, and brought them to put on their bookshelf at home oh, <laughs> i love that i love that it's yeah. got a bookshelf to be admired wonderful yeah. oh i i discovered during when we we're doing a view from the bridge and we we're looking for it uh, I could shop, which on. was a play we did a couple of years ago. For anyone that's confused, yes, confused, yes. Yep. Sorry about confusing everyone. <laughs> no, yes. no. Sometimes it's good to give context when you say things like people, that. People are just thinking, "What? Bevan's standing there getting a view from the bridge." Yes, <laughs> yes. a view from the bridge was a gorgeous play we gorgeous did. Gorgeous play. Yeah, yeah. We I up shopped online. Can you up shop online at your up shops? We we don't do um, online up shops. We're kind of. The phrase I use all the time is keeping the opportunity in the up shop, so ah. we don't take those bargains and gems 
out of the store um, and so really kind of allowing the the bargains and gems to be in the store um, I think for those listeners that are Melbourne based um, this podcast might come out prior to the opening of our new Brunswick op shop so we're opening in Brunswick on the 1st of December so right. um, yeah. there's a bit of editing pressure for you Matt to get it out <laughs> so oh no it'll be out before then the absolutely yeah 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 <laughs> No, uh, I, I believe if you're listening to this now, it will probably be within the first couple of weeks of November. <laughs> so, yeah, which, think, um, which correlates with your garage sale weekends as well. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, the National Garage Sale Trail is coming up, which will be, um, yeah, those weekends in December. Um, so, National Garage Sale Trail is a, an idea of, as many garage sales in Australia at one time. Um, it exists across two weekends in, in November, December. And um, the goal is a you know multifaceted. It's around creating community. It's around sustainability. For a lot of people, it's around raising money in this yeah. in this economy at the moment. People need some funds. So um, yeah, everyone check out National Garage Sale Trail's website. Look at events near you. There's a whole range of different events from um, Nono and Nono's uh, garage to um, fashion retailers that are doing end of line stock. So National Garage Sale Trail Weekend. I also did a podcast with them, which um, came out on the 28th of October. So that that gives you a few more tips and tricks for op shopping as well. So um, you should be able to download that from the National Garage Sale Trail and every Uniting Up Shop will have some kind of National Garage Sale Trail event as well. Mm. Maybe uh, a bit more extra $2 stuff. Some $2 pearls for Bev. Hey! Yes. Never can I have enough pearls, I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, if I, if I wanted, if I just love it so much, is it still volunteer-based for people who are working in there, in, in your op shops? Yeah, definitely. So with our kind of three core taglines are discover, come shop with us, donate. We're always looking for stock and you can donate to any of our stores at any time um, and, and volunteer. So um, particularly with seven day a week trade, I know a lot of people work full time, but there's the opportunity to maybe do four hours once a month over the weekend. And um, it's so much fun in an op shop and such a diverse range of community. You know, you've got 90 year olds with 14 year olds and professionals and coming together just to have a bit of a dance, display some stock and raise some money for um, really great community programs. So, yeah, definitely come volunteer, Bev. Imagine the three of us in an op shop. Oh, we, we've got to oh make this God. We've got to make this happen. We do. We may have... Maybe that's our, our next podcast is uh, live from in-store. Yes! Oh, yes! yes! We'll, we'll, we'll set up. We'll get the pod ready. Yes. Bring the mics. Yeah. Well, you're used to doing OBs with radio. Yes, I did a lot of broadcasts in radio. Yeah, it used to be like old times. It's like old well, times. We need to have a merch moment, you know, come and come. <laughs> yes, <laughs> have a parade. Yes. Oh, do we have, could we do a fashion parade, please? That would be oh. great. We can, we can do a fashion parade for sure, yeah. Yeah. I'm 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 living for this. I'm oh. there. I reckon it's great. <laughs> I would actually dream of walking down a runway. If any, I, Even if it's a runway at an op shop, that would be a dream be fun mm. with people on either side and all the little seats everywhere wouldn't that be fun yeah and that's the challenge everyone listening let's get off our couches let's get off our phones let's go and volunteer let's meet yeah. some amazing people let's make connections enjoy fashion and have some fun yeah and um that's definitely a way of being present and also in the scheme of just getting off your phone and getting off the couch yes get off your phone 
uh, and maybe instead of buying something that's new on Amazon because it's easy and you can do it from your couch, yes. go to an op shop because it is fun. Yeah. You might find a gem and it's it's community. It's bringing us together. Take your friends with you. Go to yeah, a, uh, it's fun. Uh, go to a garage sale. Yes. Um, yes. If for those who aren't living in, in Melbourne and are still listening to this, there's a website called Charitable Recycling Australia. So that lists all the op shops in the country that are members of, of Charitable Recycling, um, all the ways you can volunteer and donate as well. So um, in Melbourne, there's there's opportunities there on that website. So um, Charitable Recycling Australia is the one to go to. But um if you are in, in Victoria, then it's Uniting Op Shops. You don't have to go all the way to that, that website. You can come direct to us. Yes. Exactly. I was going to say, if you're not in Melbourne, you're missing out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't, oh, I don't no. know. There are too many beautiful. Political. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's true. Jacob, if there is uh, any final words you could say to our community today, now's your chance. Go for it. Yeah. Um, look, I'm just so, so grateful for my journey through life so grateful that i've got voice and pride in who i've become i'm so grateful for um the queer community the secondhand community the op shop for community for always surrounding me and um, loving me actually just this week i um had one of my original op shop volunteers pass away and that kind of really brought home to me the community and the love and care that is in op shops but also the the like wackiness of the community right of this um person who was in her 70s at the time being managed by a 20 year old and having this great love and connection for each other and so um yeah just in terms of final words it's it's thank you to the upshop community no matter what upshop it is across the country everyone's creating great community safe spaces for a range of different people and minorities and um and bringing to life stories like mine so um yeah i'm super super proud to be a part of the op shop community super proud to be part of the queer community and the uh secondhand thrift community and i love the intersection where they come together um yeah Thank you, gorgeous. We appreciate having you in the pod so, so very much. And if you're listening, go out there and support your local op shop and you will have so much fun in doing so. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, mate. And look out for our next one, live from the op shop. Yeah, exactly. Live from the op shop. (laughs) I'll I'll bring the chair. (laughs) Yeah, we'll bring the ugly chair. We'll bring the ugly ugly chair chair here in the studio. (laughs) We'll probably sell it while we're there. Yeah, we probably will. It needs to be sold, actually. I think it's about time we parted ways with that old thing. (laughs) What are you talking about, me? No, No, never. (laughs) I I wondered the same thing. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, gorgeous. Bye. And thank, thank you. Bye. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Two Gay Peas in a podcast this week. You can find us on all our social channels at Two Gay Peas, YouTube, Insta, Facey. Yes, we are on TikTok. And um, yeah, hit us up. Give us a like. Give us a thumbs up. And we really appreciate you supporting us so much. We'll see you next week. See you next week. We love you all. Bye. Bye. Bye.